Welcome to our Bible study today. My name is David Rhodes. I'm the pastor of Broadview Baptist Church, and I'm glad that you're here with us today. And I invite you to go ahead and take your Bible, and we'll, we'll be turning to a few uh, passages of Scripture in our study today. Um, think about some time that uh, someone did something really nice or very exceptional for you or gave you a very meaningful gift. Uh, some years ago, my wife got me this little gift here, and it's very meaningful to me because it was given to me as a present for graduating with my Master's of Divinity from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And what it is, is a library seal. And you simply unlock it, and it sort of opens up just a little bit here. And you put a, uh, you put a, a inside cover of a book uh, right there and press down, and it creates an emboss. It, it creates uh, a seal on the page. And this particular seal says, from the library of David H. Rhodes. And that's me. And so that made that gift extra special because not only was it timely and not only was it very useful to me with a growing number of library books, but it was personalized. And you know, when someone does something that's really nice for you or gives you a special gift, um, take a moment to recognize that there's something more than just the gift that that person has given you. What that person did for you is more than just the gift, it's more than just the action, but rather it, it reveals something about the person who gave the gift. It says something about the giver. And so if someone has blessed you, what does the nature of the blessing say about the person who blessed you. And of course, as you might be able to guess, uh, this has a connection to God. This life principle applies to our understanding of God. And today we're gonna look at something very specific that God has done for us. And we'll discover that the blessing that God has given us reveals something about his character, something about his nature. And this sermon is called The Revealing cross. And so I invite you to take your Bible and follow along with me. We'll look at a couple of different passages today. But what I want to let you know is that the cross of Jesus Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, it revealed God's glory. When Jesus in his earthly ministry got closer and closer to the cross as he journeyed toward Jerusalem, knowing what lay ahead for him, he, he made some certain statements that connected his death on the cross to the glory of God. Let me show you what I mean. In John chapter 12, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23, Jesus is talking to his disciples and it says that Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. For I am, there my servant will also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. 
And then Jesus said in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And so at the very beginning of this little passage of scripture in verse 23 of John chapter 12, let me read that again. Jesus said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And so that Jesus speaking of himself, he's the son of man. He is going to be glorified by going to the cross. And then in verse 28, Jesus prays or asks that God, the father, also be glorified by him going to the cross. And so the impending death of Jesus will glorify both the father and the son. Then Jesus gets a little bit closer to the cross in John chapter 13. So turn over a page or so in your Bible. In John 13, verses 30 through 32, here's what we read. After receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left and it was night. So Jesus had just instituted the Lord's Supper. Verse 31, when he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. And so right after Judas Iscariot left, after the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus spoke again to his death, bringing glory to the Father and to himself, the Son. And then Jesus gets a little bit closer to the cross. In John chapter 17, just a few pages over, and this is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. In John 17, we read, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. And Jesus goes on to pray this in incredibly rich, wonderful prayer of his heart to the Father. But he begins by asking that his actions leading up to the cross, his actions on the cross really, would bring glory to his heavenly Father. And so the death of Jesus on the cross glorified the Father and the Son. But I want to ask a question. What does it mean that God is glorified by the cross. I mean, what is it that happened on the cross? What did the death of the Son of God on the cross do that somehow amplifies God or magnifies God? What is it about the cross that should make us more appreciative about the nature of God? What does it say about God's nature? Well, the first thing that the cross says about God's nature is this. The cross of Christ tells us that God is just. You know, one of the most common doubts that people have about God is whether he is just or not. People ask the question, well, you know, if God is just, then why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? How would a just God ever allow that? You know, and, and people have even noticed that all throughout the Bible, 
there's this connection of words between sin and death, sin and death, sin and death are somehow connected all throughout the Bible. You sin, there's going to be a penalty. There's going to be the penalty of death. But that's not always our experience in our life, is it? I mean, sometimes doesn't our experience teach us that the bad guys win? Uh, sometimes doesn't our experience teach us that uh, the good guys lose? I mean, the bad guys get, a, get away with an awful lot in this world, don't they? And, and sometimes victims uh, cry out to God for justice and, and there's seemingly no response from heaven. So where is the justice? Well, the Bible responds to the problem of an unjust world in two very connected ways. First of all, it tells us to wait for the final judgment. Wait for the final judgment. And then all injustices will be made right. And that's why in Old Testament days, God allowed sins to accumulate without being punished or without being pardoned. Now, I'm not saying that there were consequences for your actions in the Old Testament. Of course there were. But I'm talking about the, the eternal punishment for sin against God, for crimes against God. He allowed, in those Old Testament days, believer's sins to accumulate without those sins being uh, all the way forgiven or all the way punished. And so if, if sins against God were always punished right away, I mean, if, if God punished you, gave you exactly what you deserve, gave me exactly what I deserve, the moment that we sin, well, at that point, the human race would uh, die out very quickly because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so the reason that God allowed sins in the Old Testament days before Jesus came to accumulate without completely forgiving them or without completely uh, uh, punishing them is for this reason. The Bible says in the Old Testament, it's repeated in the New, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so in what God did in his mercy, he allowed Israel, he allowed believers in Israel to sacrifice bulls and goats. And what that did, that didn't forgive their sin, but it delayed the punishment for their sins. And this brings us to the second way that the Bible responds to the problem of an unjust world, and it is this. It is the cross of Christ. When Jesus Christ died on a cross, it was God's judgment that was taking place. The judgment of God was taking place upon the Son of God. And so all of the sins that Old Testament believers had delayed uh, punishment for by sacrificing the bulls and the goats, those sins were actually paid for by Jesus. And all of the sins committed by New Testament believers like you and me ever since the cross, these were likewise paid for by Jesus on the cross. And so what the cross reveals to us, one of the things the cross reveals to us about God is that he is just. It reveals his justice. In other words, there has never been a sin 
or any type of injustice in the history of the world, and there never will be a sin or injustice in the history of the world that God ignores or that God disregards. All sins were paid for by Jesus on the cross because all of God's judgment fell upon Jesus on the cross. And for those sinners who choose not to believe in Jesus, they are choosing to pay for themselves the sins and injustices that they have committed. And this is, in my humble opinion, a poor and unwise choice. But there will undoubtedly be some people who complain about what they perceive to be God's lack of justice and yet they never, these people never realize that the cross reveals the fullness of God's justice. You see, if all sins and injustices are paid for by Christ on the cross and will eventually be properly adjudicated to believers and unbelievers at the final judgment of God, then that leaves no room for injustice to survive or prevail. All sins were paid for by Christ on the cross, and the word all means all. But God's justice is not the only characteristic that is revealed to us by Jesus on the cross. The cross of Christ also reveals to us God's love. Now, if you ask most people how they know that they've experienced love, They'll say something like, well, you know, you just know. You just, you just sort of feel it in your bones, you know. You just somehow uh, know that you've experienced true love, perfect love. But you know, there was a disciple of Jesus by the name of John who would probably take exception to that type of idea. I think he would argue with that. John, I believe, would say that in the history of the world, there's only been one act of pure love. One action completely free of any hint or whisper of any type of ulterior motive. One action that was completely selfless and only one person who had the perfect moral standard to do that. And it is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In 1 John, near the back of your Bible, turn to the little book of 1 John. It's only a few chapters long. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, here's what we read. John writes, This is how we know, or how we have come to know love. This is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John makes it very clear. The only way we really know love is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He laid down his life for us. And then later in the very next chapter, John uh, expounds on this just a little bit in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Turn there in your Bible, and it says, love consists in this, not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is how we know love, that God loved us. How did God love us? How do we know that God loves us? Because God sent his son to the cross. The cross tells us not only that God is just, because he took care of all of the injustices and all of the sins of the world by pouring out his wrath on Jesus. But also the cross tells us that God is love because God did not want to punish you. He did not want to punish me. You see, if God was only perfectly just and not loving at all, then we would, we would certainly deserve to die as a result of his righteous wrath. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. And this, it is the love of God for us. This love and only this love is perfectly pure, perfectly undeserved, perfectly good. And the best news of all is that this love, this good, pure, undeserved love, it is available to experience. All we have to do is say yes. God stands ready to invite us to experience his love, to experience the forgiveness of sins, the, the gift of eternal life that is available because Jesus died for us. And so all we have to do is say yes to God. Say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Lord over all, that he rose from the grave and that he conquered death. I believe he's coming back and I trust him today with my life and my salvation. And if you're ready to say that to God, all you have to do is pray. He's right there. He'll listen to any prayer that you pray, especially a prayer of repentance and faith, turning away from unbelief and turning to him in faith. If you have any questions, I would invite you to contact me. You can email me at david at broadviewchurch.com or you can also uh, text us on our text line. It's 806-375-4240. And I'll be glad to respond to any questions that you may have. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Stay safe and God bless.